You don't have to be reminded this week, from this point onwards, that life is full of risks, threats and danger. Agree? The people of Ukraine, the Ukrainians, don't need a reminder that life is full of risks, threats and dangers. And part of our responsibility is to reduce the risks, the dangers and the harms. How? How do we re reduce the risks of life, the dangers of life? How do we do that? Out there or in here, we do this. By calculating or estimating right, the chances or odds of something happening. So before we get to this, right, I just came across an article um, of Air Asia. Right, the budget airline, and soon we might be able to take it this year or next year, and when things open up. And they took a flight. And what did they find on that flight all of a sudden? They found, they found, you want to guess? A snake slithering through the seats. And so what do you think the pilot had to do? He had to reroute, detour, and land as soon as possible before, before panic overtook the whole plane. What are the chances of you getting on a plane and meeting a snake? I do not know. So I've used this before in different settings. I listened to a BBC pro program, British Broadcasting Corporation. There's a one in four million chance of you being the victim of a terrorist attack. After all the billions of dollars that has been spent since then, right? There's a 1 in 4 million chance in America, the stats came from, right? There's a 1 in 100,000 chance that you could die from a car accident. There is a 1 in 8,000 chance you could die from a heart disease, which tells you that the bigger the problem, the better the solution. But in that BBC program, they're debating this in terms of national finances. How much money, what percentage of our budget do we pour into anti-terrorism? How much money do we pour? So which is the greater risk to you? Terrorist terrorism or dying from a heart attack? And our sister Serene just, just shared that. The chances are much higher here, but why is the budget for this less than that? The bigger the problem, the better the solution has to be. The more life-threatening the problem, the more life-saving the solution has to be. Now, what are the chances that you, yourself, you are the risk, you are the danger, you and I are the threat? Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, the next slide, that there is a one-to-one -one chance that we are sinners. There's a 100% chance that you and me are sinners. That's the heart of his teaching. That's the reality that's the thing, that's the attitude called sin. Your sin, my sin, personally and collectively, is the greatest risk, the greatest threat and danger. And you ask, to who? Hear this rightly. Your sin and my sin is firstly the greatest danger to God, the greatest offence to God, the greatest dishonour to God. And once we are willing to offend God, once we are willing to dishonour God, once we are willing to break relationship with God, it will lead secondly to, if I could be an offence to God, being an offence to you is a nothing. That's you and me in our day-to-day -day life. 
If I dare to wage war in my heart against God, waging war with you as my husband and wife, my son, my father, my brother, is a nothing. That's the way he travels. That's the way the Bible travels in his teaching. And so the greatest danger is not out there. The greatest danger is in here. In here. In every man and woman. And by the time you arrive at Mark chapter 7, it revolves around the issue of ritual cleansing. And so we are reading Mark's gospel. And ritual cleansing, to trace the storyline so far, this is the story of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. When you read, there are only four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. What's so unique about this literature, this literature called the gospels? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the only documents that spend exclusive time on the person and work of Jesus. That is why in ARPC over the last 30 years that I've been here pastoring, every year we make a commitment to read one of the gospels. Not just to read, but to learn it afresh. Because the most important person you and me need to know to go against the odds, against the risks, against our danger, is the person and work of Jesus. And so here is Jesus up to this point in Mark chapter 7. He's increasingly, can you tell me? For those who are members who join our discipleship groups, Jesus is in two things, paradoxical. He's increasingly popular because of his healings of others, exorcism, increasingly popular because of his miracles, but he's increasingly rejected, opposed, and increasingly falsely accused. And so the two things are happening to him. And so for the local leaders, they plot to kill Jesus over the accusation that Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. He's a lawbreaker. Then by chapter 3, verse 22, the Jerusalem leaders arrive and the Jerusalem leaders are more powerful than the local religious leaders and they dare to say they, they cannot deny the factuality of Jesus' power, the factuality of Jesus' authority. But then they question the origin of it. Oh, we don't deny his power, but it comes from the devil. It comes from Beelzebub. And Jesus says, you're calling me the devil. That's what you're doing. You see God at work in me and through me, and you can come to the conclusion, it was like doing math, right? One, two, three, four, you proof. Equals two, QED, finish. Proof. It's all done. But the proof, the conclusion you reach is, instead of God is at work in him and through him, Satan has work, is at work in him. How on earth could you come to such a position? There's only one answer. Your heart. Your hardened heart. All the evidence points that this man is from God, about God, and about God's glory. And you dare to say he's from Satan, about Satan, and about Satan's kingdom. How hardened can you be? Now in this passage, the Jerusalem leaders come and the accusation is about uncleanness. The real topic is defilement. Right? And this was a lightning rod religious issue for God's people 2,000 years ago. So defilement, uncleanness. During this pandemic, you don't need a reminder of that. You don't need to be told what this defilement, uncleanness. You walk anywhere without a mask, they will arrest you. Why must you walk with, with a mask? You go up anywhere and you, 
You can't enter places if you are not vaccinated. In some groups, they call it vaccination discrimination. Our government and the world has chosen to call it vaccination dif differentiation. And I just read about the American situation that now Omicron, the, the greatest danger is not that it's those who get it, most danger of, of it being fatal are not the elderly, is the young unvaccinated. And many young Americans still think that the virus is a joke. It's a conspiracy theory. And if anything, it came from Wuhan, from China. So lots of things that are out there. We don't need a reminder of what it means, the danger of this thing called defilement or uncleanness. And then we pick up the story from here. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Can you read verse 3? Can you read verse 3 for me? And so to get it clear, God in his love story with Israel did not give them these laws. These are the tradition of the elders. The laws that he gave was regarding food God gave to his people. And you find that especially in Leviticus 11, verse 1 to 47. And why did God give Israel, his people, food laws? It was to do this. It was a physical reminder that it is a holy God who called them out of Egypt to go and worship Him in Canaan, in the Promised Land. And so when He first met Moses, take off your sandals, you stand on holy ground. Whatever they do not know, they must know through Moses that the true and living God is holy. So the seriousness of knowing a holy God the seriousness of holiness in every area of their life, and holiness, one meaning is separateness, distinctiveness, good enough to enter into God's presence, good enough to have a relationship with God. Of course, they are never good enough. They are made good. So the seriousness of holiness, a reminder of this, and the seriousness of sin, that sin must be dealt with. And so even with food, they're reminded of two things. We are in relationship with the holy God, and we need to get rid of sin in our life. And this, whatever laws, including the food laws, is to sensitize them to the holy God. The tradition of the elders came through time. And they figured out, right, God punished us twice with exiles. And both times we went to exile in our history because we broke the law. So to ensure that we never are punished by God and taken to exile, let's keep everything about the law. So you had the Ten Commandments, you had the sub-laws, right? Then the elders and the, the teachers came along through history and just added to it and added to it and added. And what they added became known by Jesus' time as tradition. God never gave them laws regarding the cleansing of utensils. There was something they invented. And Jesus says two things here. What you're, the, the leaders are getting you to practice tradition, human tradition, is totally ineffective to deal with sin and to present you wholly to God. Totally ineffective. And secondly, because you keep practicing thing, this, you think it desensitizes you to God and His way of redeeming you. His way of redeeming you. So have you ever taken part in something, right? 
just to keep the letter of the law, but you totally missed the, miss, the meaning of the law? By the time Jesus came, Israel as a nation had become masters, beginning with the religious teachers, of keeping the letter of the law of everything, beginning with the tradition of the leaders, right? And missing the spirit of it. All of you who drive, how many of you drive? Right? Got cars, you drive. And uh, how many of you got cars, you, you don't drive, but you sit in dad's mom's car? All of a sudden, you see a lot of traffic slowing down. Where? Why do people slow down when they see a police car? So you think you should drive, you should slow down and drive slower when you see police. What's the purpose of speed, speed laws? It's to drive safely. It's not to drive safely when you see police. They're two totally different things. So when you don't see police, you can drive recklessly. Is that right? So when I was working years ago as a sub-editor in the papers, one small article came out, right? And this was 30 over years ago. It says, the most fatal accidents in Singapore, indeed around the world, happen between which hours? The most fatal accidents per, per hour, per capita, happens within which hours? Rush hour, of course. No. The most fatal accidents happen between midnight and 6 a.m. in the morning. Why? Between midnight and 6 a.m., you think there's no one on the roads. I can drive recklessly. I don't need to follow the laws. In your heart and my heart, we are masters of this. Keeping the letter of the law but missing, me, missing the meaning of the law, the spirit of the law. Imagine what this, this does to God. I never gave you this. And you're washing and washing, but you're dirty and dirtier in your heart. Washing and washing almost to the point of religious OCD-ness. But here, more and more defiled. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written. So the next slide. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines. See that? The traditions of men, the commandments of men. And so you know that Jesus, now Jesus reaches back in, in God's history, in Jewish history, saying, this thing that you're practicing now, this moral corruption, this spiritual corruption, right, is not new. You have always suffered this. And I take you back to Isaiah. Jesus says, I quote Isaiah 29 verse 13. You are there in the temple in the body, but you are not there the temple in your heart. Of course, we know the word for this. The English word for this is hypocrites. It's the word that's been used in the Old Testament, word used in the New Testament, the word in the, in the English. What's hypocrisy? Lips turn to God, but hearts turn away from God. The next slide. And if anything we don't learn from this pandemic, I've said it many times, right? Maybe pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, we stood here in full churches, right? Here was full, Edinburgh was full, many of churches full, praise God, not always the case. Full churches, singing songs. Did you sing songs without meaning the lyrics? Did you sing Amazing Grace, but it was not amazing at all? I've shared this story many times. Where do you think I've heard the best choirs? And by God's grace, travel to different churches, different parts of the world, I've heard some good singing. And sometimes when I hear a good singing, a good group will say, I'll bring them here. 
bring them and bless ARPC, and bless ARPC to bless Singapore. We've, we've had good bands and all coming. We don't have choirs, but the best singing I heard was in the Helping Hand, a drug rehab place where Pastor Jeff and all came from. Not because the men had good voices, not because the men sang in tune. Most of them sang out of tune. But if you hear Hanel Chung, our caretaker, and I heard him years ago, singing at Helping Hand, Amazing Grace, it is really amazing. It's not amazing grace, how sweet. It's really amazing grace, how sweet. It's, it's here. It's not here. Lips towards God, but hearts away from God. It's something God hates. Don't you hate it? If your spouse is too timing with you, lips and face turn towards you, but heart is away from you. That's the meaning and essence of adultery. Cheating. And this is spiritual adultery that offends God and destroys relationships humanly. So Jesus calls this useless worship. It's not just useless for me, it's actually offensive to God. Do you know two things? Let's say everything you put on is now, the government finally admits, oh, it's a conspiracy. This, this whole pandemic and COVID-19 is not real. The virus is not real. Everything you put on is a placebo. You know what placebo is? It's a fake solution, right? It's a placebo. It's nothing. You think this is a nothing that you do? When we stand here, lips towards God and hearts away from God, it's not just useless, a placebo to yourself. It's offensive to God. Have you ever thought of what it means to grieve God? What it means to break His heart because of your sin in thought and word and deed? Have you ever pondered that? How serious it is to grieve God's heart and to break God's heart. And that language begins as early as Genesis God looks down and he saw that man's heart was only evil all the time. That the thoughts of our hearts was only evil all the time. And so Jesus says this, it's not just a placebo to yourself. You are here but not here. You are there at the temple but not there in your heart. It's actually offensive to God. And then he explains this. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going to him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So he gives the theology of this. He gives the corrective of this. And now he's going to give, Jesus is a master teacher, right? He will give you the principle, then he will give you the practice. He will give an illustration of this. And how do you practice this? You come up with the traditions that miss the spirit of the Ten Commandments. For Moses said, so Jesus is so clever, right? Whenever they appeal to law, the Jewish mind, law, word association, person association is Moses. Mention Moses and they should shudder. Mention Moses is the law. Mention the law is Moses. So Jesus, the rabbi, the master teacher says, and Moses, for Moses said, he didn't say, I'm going to address your elders. I'm going to address your traditions. He goes back to source. God sent Moses and Moses said in the Ten Commandments, 
you will honour your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. That's how serious it is. And why is it so serious? Because the first expression of whether you honour God is to honour your human earthly parents. The first expression that you worship God is you obey your earthly parents, no matter how limited or flawed they are, unless they are abusive against you in, in some way. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Okay? So what is this korban thing? Yep, different scholars, different views. Apparently by that time, a son could swear that this money, this offering, my wallet, I'm dedicating all the monies in my wallet and my credit card to the temple. As long as I make a vow there, it's a vow that they make. You can't break the vow, even if you wanted to. Right? And the real purpose of this is there will be some sons who are not intent to give to either temple or to father, but they superficially vow it to the temple, looking spiritual and religious, when their whole purpose was not to give money to their parents and look after them. So you have fine laws like that. You keep the letter of this tradition, you totally miss what Moses taught you, honour your father and mother, and you honour them by looking after them till their old age. It's very, very important. Then you no longer permit him to do anything. So far from this korban, fulfilling God and fulfilling honour to parents, that vow takes you away from anything you can do to, to father and mother and anything you can do to please God. Carries on. Hypocrisy. So in summary then, next slide. So three offensive ways, and the three offensive ways with this korban, right, a case study of it, you leave the commandment of God all in bold. You reject the commandment of God. You make void the word of God. Now, let me just walk that through with you in slow motion, right? When you are doing, when you and me are doing, keeping letter of the law, crossing the T, dotting the I, but missing the heart, the spirit of the law, you and me are doing three things. You and me are doing what? We go backwards. Backwards, one side. We are leaving the commandment of God. We are rejecting the commandment of God. And we are nullifying the word, word of God. You couldn't get more serious than that. You couldn't get more serious. And so forward, the next slide. Thank you. So they are keepers of the law, but breakers of God's heart. Could that be you? Could that be me? That I'm a keeper of the law, even with Sunday services. I'm a keeper of the law in terms of my giving. I'm a keeper of the law, but a breaker of God's heart. Dishonouring worship. And that's vitally important to allow ourselves to be searched. Then what happens and how does it end? Take a look at this. Next slide. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? No, this phrase, are you without understanding? Do you not understand? Are you always hearing about not understanding? Began with the parable of the souls. And in Jesus' teaching, those who are outsiders, you have hardened your heart against me. The parables are to keep you out. For the disciples, I will explain the parables and keep you in. 
Incident after incident, he now has to tell, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? For since it enters not his heart, his stomach, and is expelled, but his stomach and is expelled. So food and heart are mutually exclusive. Nothing, all the food that you take in doesn't affect your spiritual heart. May affect your physical heart, doesn't affect your spiritual heart. Mutually exclusive. And then he said, very quickly, what comes out of a person, next slide, is what defiles him. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. All these evils come from within. The word heart is very important. The Greek word is kardia. And so the word heart means this is the spiritual center is the headquarters of every person. The heart is the center of your thoughts, your word, uh, your will, the center of your volition, the center of your affection. So it's both mind and, and affections. It is decisions and actions. Everybody has a spiritual headquarters. It's called your cardia, right? Jesus here, you know what he's doing? Just stay with me and listen carefully. He lists our heart sins. There are 12 sins he lists here. And the first part are six repeatable addictive sins. And these six repeatable addictive sins come from breaking the Ten Commandments. And what are the six repeatable addictive sins that Jesus our Lord highlights? The six repeatable addictive sins that they and we are so prone to commit again and again are this. Evil thoughts. Evil thoughts is the summary verse. Out of Shinshan's heart, out of Christian's heart, Mona's heart comes evil thoughts. Then the first thing there is sexual immorality. The Greek word there for sexual immorality is pornea, from which we get the word pornography. Is it an instructive from Jesus' teaching? He gives you the summary of evils, and the first thing he, lead, he, he talks about is sexual immorality. The first thing he talks about is pornea, and it's unlawful sex, it's prostitution, it's homosexual sin. And then it's theft, breaking the Ten Commandments. And if you read your Bibles well from the Old Testament, theft is not when I just go and steal with my hands. You can steal with your eyes, and you steal with your heart. It's always the theft of the eyes and the heart that leads to the theft of your hands. And that's vitally important for us to realize. So I stand here. So what have you, what have you stolen from your neighbor with your eyes? What have you stolen from your neighbor in your heart? And then murder, again murder or violence in the Old Testament language is violence of the heart before it becomes violence of the hands. This is premeditated taking of life. Adultery, one more time, seventh commandment. Marital unfaithfulness, a death penalty associated with breaking it. Same for disobedient children. Coveting the Ten Commandments, wanting more and more, where you have enough, but not enough. So one husband, one wife is enough to meet every need. But one husband and one wife is not enough to meet every greed. You know there's a difference? Your God-given need, your need is God-given. Your greed is Satan-induced 
and self-fed. One, one man, one woman is enough. But greed is never enough. Next thing, carries on. Wickedness, meaning you are now morally dead. Deceit is taking advantage of another person through underhanded means. We call this in Singapore and around the corporate world, if you watch The Apprentice, we call this, what do we call this? Politics, ah. office politics, right? Sensuality, the lack of self-control. Envy is evil-eyed, green-eyed. So when you look at me, look at a person, instead of thanking God for my gifts, you say, why is he is so gifted? We see the musician, why is he so gifted? Why am I not gifted? Is it evil-eyed? He was always... He was always in the last class in our school, right? How come he is now richer than me? Must be selling drugs, right? All those things come up. Why should my brother get a bigger share than me? At that moment, you are evil-eyed. You are green-eyed. Slander is speech that tears down, defames. And so often you slip in something that will defame somebody. And pride, inflated self-view, and deflated view of others. Pride has always two sides. Deflated view of others. Others are never good enough, but you are always up there somewhere. So the whole day you function on judgmentalism of other people. Foolishness. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And once you say there is no God, there is no limit to your foolishness. There's no limit to your folly. So of these 12 vices, which one is Daniel capable of? Which one is Mary capable of? Which one is Richard capable of? We're capable of all of them because it begins with, out of the heart comes all kinds of evil. That's why you and me are the greatest risk, danger and threat to God. So in ending, what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for you and me? Especially at this new member service, where we had the wonderful testimonies. I want to encourage you to do this more and more. As God grows us from ARPC at Adam to Bishan at Tenga, that we must get our personal life with, right, with God right, or else we can't go out there and get people to believe in God. Without a corresponding change in our hearts, a salvation habit, can you from this point onwards spend more time searching your own heart under God? than searching other people's hearts. There will be a place for the searching of other people's hearts, for your self-protection against those who want to harm you at your school and in social media and at workplaces or maybe within your own home. There will be a place for that. But where there is less of that, please spend time searching your own hearts. How frequently should you do this? as frequently as you can. Make cardiac surging, search, searching a very important part of your walk with God. And so, search my heart, O God, and know me today. And never ignore a teachable moment from God. And what could be a teachable moment? I just, have you read this? You haven't, no? it's very good. Because you should read this after the sermon, not during the sermon. And so you read one testimony here. And during my teenage years, I turned away from God. She grew up in a Christian home. At the age of 14, I was baptized as confirmation of my faith. And then I turned away from God and followed my own desires. The pleasures of this world that can offer a young woman. 
And she drifted further and further and further until God stopped her in her tracks. And that was Magdolna Shen. And then another testimony, and this is Jeff Chua. And Jeff Chua says, I have made, I look back over my life. You look back over your life and how would you summarize your life? He says, I have made so many wrong decisions. I've hurt so many people around me. The thing is, I knew it, but I couldn't stop it. I made so many wrong decisions and I hurt so many people around me. The thing is, I knew it, but I couldn't stop it. That's a broken heart. And this man, Lance, shared. I just conducted his wedding last year. And he shared when he was being baptized at Adam three weeks ago. And what did he share? He had a good family. Until one day he discovered, his, his mother discovered, the father was having an affair. And in the multiple quarrels that they had, the multiple quarrels that father and mother had, he, what broke his heart when his father walked out of his HDB flat? And years later, that is the scene that still shames him. That is the scene that still traumatizes him. He always grew up insecure. He always grew up insecure. A scarred heart, a broken heart. You want me to go on? But each one of them in God's time have been drawn by Jesus to experience a redeemed heart. A new heart. A new heart that can forgive his father. A new heart that says, I don't want to go and harm people anymore. A new heart that I, want, I don't want at 14 years old to turn away from God and do foolish things. And then come back years later so broken. A new heart. That's what he can give. And Chanel says this. Chanel had good Godpa and Godma. And one day I asked Godpa innocently, do you and Godma ever quarrel? Because they were such a model to, to her. And the Godpa replied, of course we do, but we always make it a point to pray about it and to make up. That's the difference. We don't profess to be perfect, but we profess and confess that we have a perfect saviour and to Him we can give our broken hearts and our broken lives and have new hearts and new relationships. Brothers and sisters in Christ, never ignore a teachable moment. And Jesus has come to offer us new hearts. If you have come as a visitor and Christianity was a bit blurred to you, this Jesus seemed a bit not so clear, please know Jesus has only one, one mission. It's a love story telling you to surrender your heart so that it can make you new and live a life that is pleasing to God and useful to people around you, not harmful to people around you. How can you and I reject Jesus and that offer? Let's stand and pray together. Before we stand, pray together and sing this closing song. The closing song is, Change My Heart, O God. And I want you to take some time to really ponder the lyrics of that words. Change my heart, O God. I agree with you, O God. I agree with you, Jesus. I submit to you. Your diagnosis of my heart is absolutely accurate. Out of my heart comes all kinds of evil. And then to call upon Jesus to be the doctor, to be your saviour giving you a new heart and new beginning. We're going to sing this song. All that you say to us, Lord Jesus, is always true. That out of a man's heart come all kinds of evil. 
May we confess that. May we acknowledge that. Graced by you, enlightened by your word. But you do not exist, Heavenly Father, through your Son. You have not sent Jesus simply to expose our sin, to condemn us. But to expose our sin that we would run to Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. And to find in Him true redemption, true forgiveness, and the reality, not the possibility, of a new beginning and a new heart. So Lord Jesus, we call upon you and pray for your mercy and your grace to make us new. And we pray that this, it is this alone that will bring glory to our Father. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. <laughs>